0: We'll turn to Luke chapter number two. Luke chapter two. I went back to, I went back to put my microphone on. Sorry, I'm on the lapel mic. I'm back to put my mic on because that's always like super strange and then it's like the cords everywhere. So I didn't want to you know, do that in front of you here. So Luke chapter two, could not resist preaching a Christmas message or somewhat. I've never uh, had the opportunity to like preach around December. So I'm excited about that. Luke chapter two. Christmas is a—it's uh, a great time of the year. Unfortunately, we have to deal with the cold during it. But probably the most hype is around Christmas, right? Time of the year, holiday-wise, there's probably more songs—probably not—probably more songs written about the Christmas event than any other like event uh, throughout the year. And I would say probably secular and and uh, sacred songs, right? Probably written about Christmas, about that specific event or that uh, holiday, than any other type of event, so, and for good reason, for good reason. There's probably, uh, probably four, four to five just uh, huge events that took place in the human history, so the crucifixion, the resurrection, I'd say the day the Holy Spirit came down, right, comforter came, uh, and the birth of Christ would be uh, right up there, and anyone could argue about uh, what places they take, right, because you can't have the cross if Jesus is never born, right, they all kind of hinge upon each other, but nevertheless, the greatness of them, uh, I think. Uh, probably the resurrection is probably the greatest, but that's for another time. Luke chapter 2, we'll start at verse 8 through verse 20. We all know the story, right? There's a taxation. I was my wife, she she does not like alliteration, right? And that is a uh, that's that's practically one of the Baptist distinctives, is to alliterate your messages. And so, a um, pastor of the church we, we used to go to, he uh he alliterated everything, and it was good, it was good. Some, some people get a little carried away, and they have to spend more time defining the word that they put in their outline than, like, actually the point of the message, right? Um, nevertheless, I got, I got to this passage, I'm like, look at this, it's like very well alliterated, right? You have the taxation, you know, of Caesar, you have the uh, traveling of Mary and Joseph, you have the travail of Mary in, in, in uh, giving a birth, you have the tidings of the angels, and I had like ten of them. And I'm like, look at this—you got the straw, you got the stable, you got the Savior, you got the sheep, you got the shepherds. There's a whole other litany too, yeah. So, but I will not be going down the alliterated path. And I have three points—three points of application—that we'll get to uh, at the end of the message. So, I you hate when they do that, like, you know, movies, shows, books, right? Everything is at the end, and this will be no different. But uh, three points of application for you. Luke chapter two. Let's read responsively. Responsively. So I'll read verse eight. You'll read verse 9 together, and then I'll read verse 10, we'll read verse 11 together as we do in uh, Sunday school. I feel like I need to say a a page number in your Schofield Reference Bible. (laughs) Uh, If you know, you know. (laughs) And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. I almost forgot you guys were going to read with me there, sorry. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Great passage here. We see here Luke chapters 2, the nativity story, the story of the birth of Christ. We also find this in Matthew. If you read the beginning of Luke, it's very interesting. Luke, a very analytical individual, uh, kind of gives his claim to uh, the correctness and the great time it took to compile this book we see here he takes 13 verses of chapter this is the largest chunk that is uh about or to a specific group about 13 verses to pause and tell us about these shepherds and their experience on christmas day the first christmas an interesting group that we'll delve into a little bit here and try to find some application in their lives and what they did let's pray together and we'll jump in father we thank you for the great day you've given to us thank you for the opportunity to come into church Gather with the church, the people, Lord. We ask that you bless this service tonight. May all that we do honor and glorify you as we take a look at your life, your birth, as you entered humanity to save us from sin. We ask that you bless this time. May we be good hearers of the word, but also doers of it. Thank you for all you've done, Lord, and all you're going to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 8. And they were in the same country. We read earlier they're in Bethlehem, right? The city of David. We know how Mary and Joseph got here, right? Uh, Caesar, Augustus, has made a taxation, a registration, a census, if you will, of the whole world, the Bible says. This is speaking of the Roman Empire, the entire known world at the time. And history tells us they would do this about every 14 years. And so a taxation is made, and so Mary and Joseph are sent uh, to the hometown of Joseph, and being of the line of David, that is Bethlehem. So it says here, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. It's late, there's shepherds doing their job, washing the sheep, and uh, this is like the third shift, right? Late night, and uh, I fortunately have never had to work a third shift job. There was a few guys in college that uh, had third shift, and they also took naps during chapel. And uh, but they'd come in. They were not the only guys that would eat breakfast. Pastor Joel would eat breakfast at college. I never ate breakfast, but at college. Uh, maybe some leftover pizza from the night before, uh, but that I brought home, but nevertheless. Uh, Third shift guys, right? The graveyard shift sometimes it's called. Those guys would drag in, and then sleep through all their classes and pull and then uh, do it all again. Nevertheless, this is where the shepherds are at. Third shift, late at night, and uh, doesn't tell us what time it is roughly, but it's it's nighttime. So here, what is a shepherd? We see this narrative of a shepherd throughout the entire scripture. Really, uh, we find Moses as a shepherd. Abel, really, at the beginning, right? He's herding sheep of of some sort. Uh, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob—they're all. Shepherds of some sort. We even see when the children of Israel are going to go into Egypt, when Pharaoh Pharaoh and and Joseph bring them in, right? Joseph tells them, hey, make sure you tell them you're shepherds, right? Because they want to give you this land and and such. So we see this really throughout the whole Bible. We see David, right? What was he doing when he was found by Samuel to be anointed as king? He was out in the field being a shepherd. And we see Jesus, of course, uh, uh, at the top of that paramount as the good shepherd. So we see here, oft times... Um, we don't really know the age of these shepherds or who they were exactly. We just can kind of conclude some things, but oftentimes they were the youngest boy in the family was the shepherd. If these people owned sheep had a flock of sheep, the youngest boy would be the shepherd. We see this once again, the story of David and uh, his father Jesse as all the brothers line up before Samuel, and he goes down the list, right? They don't even get David, right? David's out, out, in, the, out in the field watching the sheep. It's like he doesn't even exist. And that's how it is being the youngest child sometimes just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. Uh, anyways, but he's out in the field. Like, he doesn't even exist. And to the point where Samuel has to even, like, beckon and call out from Jesse. Like, do you have any other children? Oh, yeah. Almost forgot. Yeah, David, he's out in the field. Uh, nevertheless. So, they are working the night shift. We see these, they, uh, we're not told these men uh, had their families on the sheep or if they have been hired to keep watch. See, so your shepherding was not a high-stature job in people's eyes, necessarily, Uh, It was kind of the lower level, and uh, they weren't necessarily respected people in their community potentially, and uh, kind of a dirty job. They probably smelled, right, like animals, uh, sleeping with them, living out there with them, Uh, just constantly probably had, uh, uh, you know, manure on their sandals and feet, right? Uh, Brother Dan walked in the office the other day, he's like, oh, you're a, I forget exactly what he said, but something along the lines of like, oh, you're a real farmer now, you tracked uh, horse manure into the office, and so... I apologize. Uh, so anyways, But we see here, their job was to keep the sheep fed, watered, comfortable, and safe. We see this, what a good shepherd would look like. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What's he do? He make, maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they come for me. Obviously, David's drawing an analogy to our relationship with God and how he leads us, how he takes care of us. But we see here some details. What does a good shepherd do? Well, they keep their flock watered. They keep them fed. They, they comfort them. They keep them alive. They keep them away from danger. Uh, if these men were good shepherds, this is what their occupation would have looked like. Another thing we know through from Scripture is that they know their sheep. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give it to them eternal life, right? We see this analogy here, Jesus, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. We we'd sometimes, uh, if you like, read that, you sometimes think, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. But he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Sometimes we'll get a flock or a herd of sheep, right, and it's like there's however many of them and there's no distinction between them and the, uh, the one sheep amongst another. But I guarantee you a shepherd knows his sheep well. Uh, we have a few dogs. Uh, we, we have goats nowadays, uh, two goats. And um, I don't know if that makes me a shepherd or not, but uh, our cow is pretty cool, too. If you haven't seen pictures, of that, it's pretty cool looking. Anyways, but um, but our, we have a few dogs, and, and someone may come and look and see, like, a couple of our golden doodles, and they say, well, all those dogs look alike. They kind of look like sheep. Uh, but They look alike to some extent. But we know, like, you can differentiate, like, who those dogs are, right? And uh, very easily. And even, you can tell, some of our dogs we bred. You can even tell traits from the parents. Like, oh, this dog is very much like this other dog, right? They look like them, they act like them. My parents' dog and one of the dogs we have are from the same, they're like half-brothers or something, right? And they have a lot of similarities. They're, they're more than just the size or color, but just lots of similarities in how they act, structure, things like that. And you would just stick these two poodles next to each other and be like, yeah, they're the same dog, right? They look the same, they have very, whatever. But I know diff, diff, very different things about them. My wife, like, she can differentiate like the dog's barking, right? Which dog is barking? And and. and What they're barking at to some extent, right? If somebody's pulling up or if they're just barking at something random or barking for no reason. But we can differentiate those different barks, right? And a sheep, or a shepherd rather, uh, in most cases probably could differentiate between their sheep and, and know each one of them. We see this in Jesus, what a good shepherd would look like. And so we have no reason to believe that these shepherds were good shepherds or bad shepherds nevertheless. But they were out there late at night doing their job. And we see, like I said through scripture, what a good shepherd might do if they were on their best day and what they might look like. Shepherds usually had a rod, a staff, and as we see in the life of David, a sling. The rod sometimes had a nail at the end of it. There was kind of a knob at the top of it, a nail, to help them protect the sheep from predators. It would look like, uh, like a stick that a police officer would carry. Are you able to carry those anymore? What? Oh, okay, that's cool. Anyways, they probably didn't have extendable ones then. But it would look something like that uh, to kind of like to ward off predators, things like that. It had a nail in it sometimes to really make a predator get away. The staff would help guide the sheep and service as a walking stick for the shepherd and would also kind of keep predators away to some extent. And then the sling, this was interesting, the sling would help keep predators away, obviously. Uh, a shepherd sitting on the field would have much time to practice this. But uh, and also if a sheep was starting to get away from the herd, he could fling that rock at them and it would kind of push them back in and kind of startle them back into the herd with the other sheep. So you see these shepherds were doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? They're just they're shepherds, and so they're watching the sheep. And they're supposed, when they're supposed to be doing it, I don't know if they're hired, I don't know if they're the family sheep, but nevertheless they're out there watching their sheep overnight. Not the easy shift, not an easy job, not a well-respected job, probably not well-paid, but they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're the right place, the right time, doing what they should be doing. Just, just mean, as the Bible would call them, right? Normal, average, mean men. Not like angry or mean or bad, but like mean as an average, right? They're average people doing an average or below-average thing. And then their life completely changes, right? This is not a below average thing that's about to happen to them, right? This is an amazing thing that's about to take place. And nobody else that we see in this story, right, gets this privilege of having not just one angel, but the the Bible says uh, a host of angels. I don't know how many that is, but it's more than two, right? Uh, A host of angels show up. And uh, even we see Zechariah, right? And he gets an angel show up to him. We see Mary and Joseph get angel, angels to show up to them. And but in this case, these shepherds, these normal people doing normal things, living their normal life in a normal way, boom! Angels show up, and they change these people's life. I saw a Babylon Bee. It said, uh, "It said um, rookie angel doesn't." doesn't, what's it say, rookie angel doesn't lead with fear not to the people he's bringing a message to or something like that, right? Because you always see angels, man, they're just, they're knocking people dead, right? They're scaring people to death, right? We see in these shepherds, they were sore afraid, right? They were stricken with fear completely, really afraid. And this angel shows up to them. Verse 9, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Obviously, there's no city lights in these days, so I'm sure the moon, the stars shone pretty bright. And they had some light, maybe. But all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, kaboom, right, this light shows up. And, like, just I'm probably blinds these people to some extent. Not what they were expecting. Probably half asleep uh, in the middle of the night, trying to do their jobs, trying to stay warm. Keeping watch of these sheep. And all of a sudden this light just kaboom out of nowhere. Somebody starts talking to them. Maybe floating in the air. I don't know. And it's just a crazy thing to the point where they were sore afraid. We see here God chose to tell these men first about Jesus' birth. He tells wise men and kind of gives them a sign, right, to seek out. Uh, eventually that message gets to Herod, right? He, he gets this message out in unique ways to different people. But these shepherds... And they're the first to hear about it. What a privilege these men had. What a life-changing experience. And we'll see how it changes their life later on. But we see here, they're very normal people. They're low in society. They're not uh, the highest of people. Not people you would think, hey, let's go tell the shepherds, right? Something great just happened. Let's go tell the shepherds, right? That's not really high on the list of people we're really going to let know. But we see here in the scripture, this is how the upside-down kingdom of God often works. First Corinthians says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Do we not see this over and over and over again in this story? The foolishness of this world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. These shepherds had nothing to glory about in of themselves. They were normal people. Maybe even at the bottom of the totem pole in their society. We see them. They would fit in this list here of people. They're not really great people. They're not mighty. They're not noble. They're not strong. They're weak people. They're, in this case, God has used them, the foolishness of the world, to confound the wise. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written... He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. These shepherds did not earn in any way to be told this message. But yet God gives it to them, extends it to them in a great way. Verse 10, chapter 2. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. These guys are scared to death. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. We see this word good tidings. That is the word we use as Evangelize, right? That's the, word, that's the word we get that from. And it's evangelization. The gospel comes from the same word here. of To take good news, good tidings to people. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The Jews had felt for this time, I don't know if these shepherds did personally, but the Jews as a whole had felt that they had a corner on God. Right? We have the oracles of God. We have the law, right? Uh, we have a relationship with God to some extent. We have his priestly law that we partake in. And we try to live this life and the Gentiles are shunned away from this. They thought they had a corner on God. And these angels break that wide open, right? There's good tidings of great joy for all people. And he comes to the people who maybe wouldn't really receive the message oftentimes. The people who wouldn't be the first to hear oftentimes. The people that would hear through the grapevine. The people that wouldn't really get paid well. The, not the high, not the mighty, not the noble. He comes to them and he says this message of good tidings is for all people. What a point we see here that he starts with the weak, the people that are low in society, and gives them this message. This message of joy was for all people. This group of shepherds were likely outcast and looked down upon by their fellow Jew, but God decided to do this miraculous thing for them and reassure them that this good news was for anyone. Verse eleven: For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We see here prophecies being fulfilled. What an amazing thing, and how many hours and hours and hours of time can we take and cross-reference and go back to the Old Testament and see the prophecies fulfilled just in the birth of Christ? And we see here also his names and titles. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. As I was reading this, I wonder, like, why do they call, like, this is, this is Jesus, right? This is God. Why do they call him the babe or the child? Well, it's because he's not named yet, right? He's not named for another eight days. But nevertheless, we see here, he's the Savior. He's the deliverer. He's the preserver. This is a noun form of the word save, right? The, if you, somebody saved you, they would be your Savior. If you were drowning and somebody swam out and pulled you out of the water, right, they would be your Savior. They would have saved you. This is the noun form of save to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. This is what he's going to do. He's born a Savior. This is from the same word in Romans ten thirteen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to save people. Right? This is who's born, the Savior. He is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, anointed to be the Messiah of His people. Matthew one says a uh, uh, parallel to this story, talking about Mary and she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. For he shall what save his people. ...from their sins. We see the name Jesus is Jehovah. Yahweh will save the salvation from God. He is Lord. So we see your Savior. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's Christ. He is Lord. This is the name ascribed to God in the Old Testament by the scribes, right? So we see in our, our Old Testament, right, we see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? Lord. I got to O and I was like, is that the right letter? No, Lord, right? Simple, simple word to spell. All right? it's always, and it's, it's all capitalized... Right, that is uh, the Tetragrammaton, right? The name of God, Yahweh. Sometimes we say Jehovah, which is Yahweh and Adonai put together. We see the name of God, right? And the scribes started not writing Yahweh, and they, they would put Lord instead because of the holiness and the reverence they had for the name of God. And so whenever we see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord, all, the, all caps, we know that that is God's name there, of Yahweh, given to, uh, that he gives to, to Moses and such. And so we see, but that's the name that Jesus comes, and that's what's ascribed to him, the Lord. You can look back at the Old Testament, and there's only one person that they really called Lord. Like there were other masters, there were other people that were held a position of Lord in their life, if they were a slave or a servant. But when the angels came, and the angels called this person Lord, they're talking about the Lord, right? The Lord, Yahweh, the, the God of all time, the creator, right? That's who they're speaking of. This is the title Jesus is referred to. Jesus Christ, our Lord. We see that over and over in the New Testament. We see some iteration of that, right? Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our Lord, Christ Jesus, right? The word Lord is he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding. He's master, the possessor and disposer of a thing. It's a title of honor, expressive of respect and reverence with Which servants greet their masters, right? This is the position Jesus should have in our life. And this is the position that these angels are telling the shepherds. The Lord has come. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. We see this name in Exodus 3. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you, the Lord. John 8. Then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet fifty years old. And hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was... He doesn't say, I was. He doesn't say, I have been. He says, I am, right? Continuing to be, always have been. He's the Lord. John 20 says, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger. We know the story, right? Thomas says what? Thomas says in secret to the disciples, Unless I stick my hand in his side and put my fingers... In his hand, the holes in his hand, I will not believe, right? I will not believe until I physically see this man and touch this man, Jesus Christ. And so this is what happens. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy fingers and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. How a sermon can be preached right there. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord, my Lord and my God. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you, oh, Jesus never claimed to be Lord. Other religions will tell you Jesus isn't the only way. He's not God. He's just a good man. No, right here he says, my Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen Jesus me thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. Revelation 17, this is the future, right? These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is, what? Lord of lords and king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Revelation 19 says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture And on his thigh, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is who Jesus is. This is what the angels are telling him. These are his angels. The angel of the Lord, it says. And then later the angel says what? The Lord is born. These are his angels pronouncing his birth. Often when a child was born in this time, a family would hire a herald to proclaim the news of a new child, especially the firstborn son. In this case, we see Mary and Joseph. They are very poor. Right? We see this because uh, when they go to the temple, right, to, uh, after Jesus, eighth day, right, they take him to the temple to present him um, before the Lord, and they're supposed to bring a sacrifice, and they bring the, the, the offering that was for poor people, right, two turtle doves or a young pigeon, I believe. And so they bring, they bring those things instead of like the, the more rich sacrifice because poor people kind of had a lower, lower, lower thing that they could bring. And this is what Mary and Joseph bring, right? They're very poor people. So they're not hiring a herald to go out to the town of Bethlehem. And remember, they're not really from Bethlehem. Joseph's lineage is from there, but they're not really living in Bethlehem. They don't really potentially really know very many people in Bethlehem. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't, but they don't have the money to hire somebody to go out and shout the news. Hey, there's somebody born in this town, especially Jesus Christ. But there's never been such a herald as the angels proclaiming Christ's birth. What a great proclamation what a great heralding. Never has there been such a heralding than the birth of Jesus Christ that the angels, his angels, that come down and proclaim this. And to lowly shepherds. We sang the song tonight. Hark the herald angels sing. Wow, what great lyrics, what great doctrine in there. We didn't sing the last verse. We're not going to sing it right now. I'll just read it for you though. I encourage you, I think as uh, uh, Dr. Evans, he would say, you know, do your devotions, have your Bible, have your hymn book, you know, read through some of these songs. Last verse says, "Come, desire of nations, come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise, the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head." This great line here, Adam's likeness, right? Our sin nature, now efface. Take it down, tear it down. Stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate to us thy love. Hark, listen to the herald, the proclamation, the tidings the angels bring. Glory to the newborn King. Verse number twelve, and this shall be a sign unto you: you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. What great contrast we see here! Every fail, tar- every fail- fairy tale story we read, every novel we read. Seems to have the hero down and out, right? That's part of the hero's journey, right? Is that they have a problem that they cannot seem to overcome. There's, a, there's an issue, right? They, the, they go down in the depths, right? It may start off at a neutral point or a high point. But at some point, the hero's in a low place. We see no contrast compares to this contrast. God becomes man. Think about this. God becoming man. Man. We see throughout the scriptures, Hebrews especially emphasizes these points. Taking on the spotted flesh, the tainted flesh. And all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What an amazing thing. What a humbling thing. For the God of the universe, the God of the universe, the creator. To set aside those things and become a man. God becomes a man. Creator becomes creation. The richest becomes the poorless. The sinless, what, becomes Sin for us. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men. Is this not the only response that could be uttered by these angels? Glory to God in the highest. Isaiah 6 says, in the year that King Uzziah died I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple Above it stood the seraphims, each one having had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Revelation 4 says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was... And is to come. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from the, our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. All kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come the Almighty. For two thousand years, mankind had been separated because of sin from God. They had to go through a priest. They had to go through some traditionalism, some law to have some access to God. And now God enters and steps into history to reconcile mankind back to Him. What an amazing day. What an amazing moment it is. And all that could be uttered, and what more could be uttered than glory to God in the highest. Verse 15. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. And see this thing which has come to pass. Which the Lord hath made known unto us. Right, this, the, the, the angels never said hey go. Right, they told him the details. They showed him this amazing thing. What other response is there than to go, right? Once again, what other response is there? What other response is there than to Jesus being born Then glory to God? And what other response is there when these shepherds get this story and this, this imagery and this tidings told to them than to go and find this babe wrapped in a manger and his swaddling clothes? And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which is told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. A few points of application as we close this evening. When we encounter Christ, we should share the message. We see this verse 17. And when they had seen it, Jesus... Mary, Joseph, his babe, lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And they're telling people, angels showed up to us. This is a crazy thing that happened. We see here verse 20 at the end there. These shepherds return, telling people, glorifying God. When we encounter Jesus, we should share that message. When we get saved, when we get right with God, when we grow, grow closer to him, how can we help but share these messages? How can we help but share the gospel? This, this, this thing, this, these tidings, this message was transformative in these people's lives. They could not help but tell people. On their way there, I can just hear them and see them shouting and telling people, grabbing people, because this was an amazing thing a miraculous thing, an incredible thing that these shepherds had to take place to them. Is this not how the salvation of our life should be? What an amazing thing that our soul has been saved from hell. We can now have a relationship with God, right? We can be free from sin and its reign in our life. And all that, if that wasn't enough to go to heaven after this life is over. Number two, when we encounter Christ, we should ponder the experience and all that took place. We have just a little glimpse here of what happens to Mary. Most of these verses are... Kind of about the shepherds and their story here. And just a little glimpse here, verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Do we consider these things? Do we consider this story and what it took, right? we sing the song this morning. We're seeing in choir. Born to die, right? This was always the purpose. This was always the plan. The Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. Jesus came. He came meek. He came lowly. He came in the form of an innocent child. All with the purpose, though. To die. We ponder on these things, do we meditate on these things? Do we chew on them? Do we think about them? Do we let this Christmas season pass just without with a whim? With some holly jolly Christmas and Frosty the Snowman and a couple good songs thrown in here or there, some Christmas lights. Maybe we drink some extra hot chocolate or something. We spend a ridiculous amount on presents to make the economy, you know, go up or something. Right? Is that all it is? And we want to encourage others to keep Christ in Christmas. The reason for the season. But do we as his followers, as his people, sit back and ponder these things as Mary did? When we encounter Christ, we should glorify him. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. When we encounter Christ, we should glorify him. Glory is the kingly majesty which belongs to him as a supreme ruler. Majesty in the sense of the absolute perfection of the deity. We see in the Lord's Prayer what is owed to God. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Revelation 4. What do we see God is worthy of? Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor Power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Revelation 5 says, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne. And unto the Lamb, forever and ever. I wanted to put here: glory in God will be the theme of heaven. Right? We get there, that will be the theme of heaven—glorifying God. But it is the theme of time, has always been, and always will be. It is today. It will be tomorrow. It was yesterday, and it will be for eternity—the glorifying of God. And we can glorify God. Will be glorified with us or in spite of us. He'll be glorified by us. He'll be glorified either way. He uses all things for his glory. Partake in it. We have the opportunity to partake in glory in God with our life, with our voice, with our actions, with our relationships amongst others, with our relationship with him. Give him glory. We see in Revelation, he is worthy of it. No one else really is. We put lots of people on pedestals, people in government, people in other positions. They're really not truly worthy. Of that glory. Their position may have some worth. God is worthy of that glory. Just three things to conclude here to recap. Three things to do this Christmas season. Probably won't have an invitation. Invitation will be take action. Three things to do this Christmas season share the gospel with others. What a great time! What a great conversation starter, right? Christmas, the birth of Jesus, it's where it all started ponder on the christmas story and why it took place it took place to save your soul it took place to save the sin to save mankind right jesus came seeking and saving that which was lost share the gospel ponder on the christmas story and why it took place and lastly give glory to god and probably most paramount you could do these you can do this in the other two but give glory to god for he is worthy so often we go through our day I hate to wrap you in, up into that. So often I go through my day. We go to work. We do our thing. Do we consider Jesus? Do we consider our Lord? Do we give Him glory? Do we take time to give Him glory? Do we consider Him? Think about Him. And maybe it's publicly, maybe it's privately. but Giving glory to God. For He is worthy. We see these shepherds, what a great thing to learn from them. What did they go back doing? Glorifying God. What else was there to do? What an outpouring. I mean, I'm sure they were just full to the brim of amazing experiences that took place to them that day. And what else could they do than glorify God? As, as 21st century Christian believers in the United States of America, with all the rights and privileges that come with that, do we not have plenty to glorify God? Glorify God this Christmas season. What a great thing to do. Glorify God in all seasons. Glorify him today, tomorrow. Especially as we take time to remember the birth of Christ. And as it's in front of us and a lot of things that we do, glorify Jesus. Lift him up for he is word. Let's pray and we'll conclude this evening. Father, we thank you for the great day you've given to us. Thank you for coming to earth. As you told us, to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And we thank you so much for that and all that that entails. We ask that you give us the strength to share the gospel this season in all times, Lord, but specifically in this time of Christmas, share the gospel to think about this time, to examine it, to meditate on it, to think about it and ponder it as Mary did in those, that first Christmas. Ponder these events and keep them in our heart. And Lastly, Lord, most importantly, to give glory to you in our lives. We love you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for this church and the faithful folks and good-hearted folks that it has. pray that this message and your word would be a help to each and every one of us to prick our hearts to give more glory to Jesus, as he is worthy of it. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't think there's any other announcements. And uh, that's it. You're dismissed. Have a good rest of your night. We'll see you next Sunday. I'll be in Florida.